Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to this brand new spoiler review for Secret Invasion episode tier from two here from the Geek Buddies. <gasps> hey, yeah, that's yeah. Why we're back at it today. This one is a big one. Episode two, you know, episode one was well received. There was a lot of drama with that AI intro, which has dissipated. Uh, now and uh, people are here and ready to watch this episode it's called promises a lot happened in this episode remember that old naked eye song you told me promises promises and one of the big promises was nick fury promising the scrolls to find a home and 30 years later there ain't no home but there's a million scrolls on earth and that becomes a big big part of this episode as well we're going to break it on down here on this spoiler review but let's introduce ourselves first i'm the outlaw john roker writer producer and host here on the geek buddies i am michael vogel i am a writer and producer of animated tv shows and movies and this is shannon mcclung i'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our current work uh on netflix right now with strawberry shortcake Barry in the big city seasons one and two and in just a couple of weeks yeah. uh season three coming on youtube Wow, that is that is what comes after season two. Very good. Have you guys? <laughs> have you guys ever? I'm trying to remember everything that happened in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys ever considered doing a secret invasion version of uh, the strawberry, the, the strawberry shortcake? Who would come in to be the scrolls? Oh, how do you know we haven't? Oh, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Uh, you I have to watch season three to find oh, out, John. Oh shit! Who would be the scrolls in Barryland? Very good. <laughs> um, all right, well, we're jumping into this thing. As I said, it's called Promises, directed by Ali Salem and uh, written by Kyle Bradstreet, who is, of course, one of the uh, one of the showrunner of this thing. So, um, thoughts overall, Mike? I go to you first. As I mentioned, a lot happened here. We get a little more with Gaia and her n- stuff going on behind the scenes. Is she a double agent? Is she getting information for herself? Big reveals about possibly super scrolls uh, already being teased here uh references to the secret invasion comic a fantastic scene between nick fury and uh, and rhodes there uh, at that tavern and also um uh, olivia coleman enjoying a little bit of torture at the end there and much more gravic and much more finding out about what's motivating gravic to be this uh, revolutionary either warrior for his people or terrorist, depending on your point of view. So what were your thoughts about this episode overall? So I I like everything that happened in this episode. I'm mm. super on board with this show. This is the most satisfied I've been on a Marvel thing in a minute. I do think, 
I've talked to some people who didn't love episode one and I was thinking about some of their critiques as I watched episode two. Yeah. And I realized, I think what this show is missing at the moment, like the scrolls are awesome. There's some really yeah. interesting, fun sequences, but as Shannon said last week, which I think is apt, like tone wise, this has a lot in common with winter soldier. Mm-hmm. Like it has that sort of spy feeling like t- don't trust anybody, but winter soldier also had cap and Bucky. Yeah. You, the literal Winter Soldier. And you had some really amazing over-the-top action sequences. And I think that because this is very Nick Fury-focused, because this is very on-the-ground-focused, yeah. the one thing that I'm missing is... This is weird to say in a show where everybody is shape-shifting and there's aliens all over the place, but it's missing a little bit of the Marvel spectacle. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, interesting. we've had in the... Now, look, I will say, like, between Multiverse of Madness and Love and Thunder and... Uh, Quantumania, they were big on spectacle. There was a lot to look at, and sometimes there wasn't as much there there. So all things being equal, I'm very happy to have some meaty, story, character-driven stuff. So I'm very much enjoying it, but I did realize that by episode two, we're two episodes in, and we've had some cool stuff. We've had some chases. We had a very big explosion at the end of episode one, but in the Marvel Universe, we don't have a lot of characters and costumes running around giving us the spectacle which is part of the nature of what this is but i think that that might be what's missing for some people yeah it's an excellent point you bring up because i mean you you could have easily have the um cap and bucky relationship mirrored here with talos and uh and fury but that seems to be much more friction based on um certain things that uh, have gone on behind the scenes and certainly that train uh, uh, scene explains what's going on with these long-held issues between both of them being put out into uh, their discussion. So interesting. Yeah. A bit of a change. Even Alexander Pierce gets referenced in this movie. And want to talk about a win or see. Sure does. So you mentioned there, there with winter soldier. So yeah, I could see your points there for sure. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts overall on this uh, episode two here of secret invasion. Yeah. Overall, really, really happy. I mean, I, I didn't dislike uh, the first episode, but, uh, and I think that uh, attack in Moscow I think there's maybe you could you could have added an element of the ticking clock, a more apparent mm-hmm. ticking clock, where it's like this is the person we need to find, even though they were watching the tagged bags. It wasn't so much the chase; it yeah. was watching this stuff happen. We get the bags; they're not here. The bombs aren't here. What do we do? Um, I think if if they are um, a little more active in their pursuit, I think that maybe would have filled that void. That, that people were talking about um the second episode i mean there's just some great there's just some great acting there's some great yep. dynamic scene work yep. across the board love seeing olivia coleman uh, like a, a sadistic olivia coleman um, it's, it's a lot of fun um <laughs> I, I like that train scene you mentioned john i'm gonna talk yeah. more on that like because i do think there was maybe a miscalculation made and how they approached it. Um, But overall, I'm really, really happy. But for folks that, again, as Vogel said, might be missing that kind of Marvel uh, special sauce. Like I do understand that, especially in this one, because there is not a ton of, it's not the most dynamic uh, uh, in terms of action. It's not the Mm -hmm. most dynamic episode. Okay. Mike, you took a breath in. Did yeah, you just, I just think that um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a hard thing because I'm watching it and there's two things happening in my brain. Like I am, to your guys' point, there's some great acting. There's yeah. some great scene work here. And I love a big idea. And I think this whole concept that the scrolls, uh, Carol Danvers and Nick Fury made a promise. Yeah. And Nick Fury used the scrolls for his own purposes for several years. 
decades and they yeah. decades and they never made good on that promise and the scrolls are not wrong to be pissed right and i think that is great and there's some other things that they're hinting at that we'll get into later in the episode that i think are really neat so i love a big idea and i think that this series has some really big ideas i like what they've done um but yeah, on the other side of my brain, I'm like, I, I get why this isn't necessarily scratching everyone's itch. And so I'm conflicted because it's scratching my itch, particularly after not being uh, as enamored with uh, some of the later parts of phase four and the beginning of phase five. I'm feeling good. Um, so it's just an interesting sort of dynamic as I'm watching it. Yeah, I'm loving it. I, I liked the first episode a lot. I enjoyed this one even more. Uh, and I'm really like, this is Andor for me. This is essentially Andor. Yeah. And so I understand why people like people did not like Andor, Star Wars fans. And like, I can understand why some Marvel fans, this rubs them the wrong way. It's much too real. I mean, we even have an FXN host, for God's sake, Christopher McDonald, spouting his false flag stuff. So it's much more realistic. It's much more topical. It's much more in your face about what's actually going on in our world and not as aspirational, even though there is a desire for the scrolls and humans to, to, to some, find a way to coexist. It's much more realistic in the brutality and the idea of terrorism, the idea of uh, explosions killing people, the idea of having a young terrorist who thinks he's right because he thinks humanity is actually going to kill itself anyway. So he might as well hasten the process along, finding reasons for why they're doing what they're doing. But they're interesting, multidimensional, nuanced characters that you will find yourself agreeing or at least understanding how they could arrive at this logic. And I like that. It's interesting to me. It's fun to me. And I enjoy it. My issues are... Some things are happening too fast, and that's unfortunately the limit of a six-episode series. Right. We have to rush through some beats in certain moments, and I think that's where I get a little bit of a hang-up overall, but I like what they're going for. You said the big ideas, and I love that this is Nick Fury is a dick, and Nick Fury is coming back as an old man trying to reclaim his younger days, his salad days, and everyone is telling him, you can't do it anymore, old man. And even in that scene at the end with him and Don Cheadle, and we'll get deeper into that Woo! conversation, hmm. he says, even when I'm out, I'm in. It seems like an old man still trying to tell you he can do it. Well, and you're like, yeah, not really, man. But so I like that, the perspective of it all. So, particularly yeah. because it's, and we'll, again, we'll get to it, but it's a, yeah. even when I'm out, I'm in, I'm in your face. Then I go outside and yeah, I collapse right. on the park bench because I'm like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? <laughs> exactly. so. Yeah. And Rhodes knows you're, you, you know, you're, you're not as young as you used to be. And it's like Shaq used to say, 39 ain't 29, bro. So it's the truth. It's the truth. So, uh, all right, well, let's dive into this thing. We're going to break it down through certain sequences and scenes. I'm going to try to compile them as quickly as possible and we'll discuss them and, and dive deep into them. So again, this is a spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the episode, go and watch it and come back and hang out with us. All right, we open up in uh, 1995. Uh, we're getting some highlights, reels uh, from Captain Marvel, explaining for people who may not know, the, uh, the it didn't see Captain Marvel, the behind the scenes with Talos and the scrolls and everything with Nick Fury. We see a de-aged, digitally de-aged Nick Fury there. When we skip ahead two years, we're in Brixton, London in 1997 with the Fury meet with a group of skull, scroll survivors rather, uh, and talking about the prom promising to find a home for them because they're kind of refugees. They fled uh, the battle there with the Cree and they find it and he's reiterating that promise. We meet a young Gravik here who is played by Lucas Persaw. He is traumatized by the death of his parents, but uh, the uh, the the um, a scroll woman there tells him, hey, this guy, he's uh, wise beyond his years. He can fight. He's a warrior. Nick is initially hesitant to recruit 
recruit children, but he gets convinced really quickly and he says, I see you. And he's on board here. And then, and, and then we see Talos give this speech to them about, hey, we need to trust this man. You know, he's got us refuge. I believe in this man. Essentially rubber stamping uh, Nick Fury as a leader for them that they can trust. Nick Fury comes up and delivers his speech about how I need you to step forward. It's kind of like the speech he gave the Avengers to form the Avengers Initiative without having bloody Colson cards to throw and lie to them about. But basically, that's what he's saying. I need you to go <laughs> undercover. Help me to keep my home safe, and I will find you a new home. Uh, and, of course, we find out it's been 30 years because we go present day, and we see Gravik. We go to the aftermath of the explosion, which we had seen at the end of Episode 1. Gravik is... Pretty, uh, pretty pleased with himself as him and um, uh, Gaia leave the square there. Fury takes one last look at Maria's Hill body, Maria's Hill's bo- Maria Hill's body, and then he's thrown in the back of a van. Who is that? Is it Sonya's people? No, it's Talos in disguise. And then we get to the scene in the train with Talos uh, and Fury talking about their situation. Fury talking about growing up in a segregated time when him and his mom would take the train from Alabama to Detroit and how they had to bring their own food. And then how they had to play these games. And this game is tell me something I don't know. And Nick recruits Talos to have this conversation with him. And Talos reveals that a million scroll have been on the planet this whole time, which is a massive revelation. Pisses off Nick Fury to no end. Says, have you lost your your reptilian ass mind? Uh, and, uh, And Talos says to him, hey, you disappeared. You took off. We were doing the best we could. Then you said you couldn't handle it, man. I'm overwhelmed, man. And you went up there. And then when you came back, you weren't even focused on things here. Nick is super pissed and says, how can you think that the scroll and humans can work together when humans can't even work together, for God's sakes? And then, in essence, he kicks them off the train uh, there. Um, and uh, and then we go to the uh, – well, let's just stop there because we'll stop there. All right, gentlemen. Great intro here, in my opinion. Great intro, giving us a little bit of the background between Fury and Gravik. Clearly, this is a mentor-mentee situation, possibly a pseudo-father figure situation. And then we have the the, uh, war of wills here in terms of the conversation between Talos and Fury on the train. So, Mike, I go to your first thoughts on these opening few scenes here to start this episode. Uh, Here's how you know I'm into a series. Until you just said there was a DH Nick Fury... Didn't even occur to me. <laughs> Didn't even occur to me. Like I like I'm watching it and it shows like the, some of the some of the clips from Captain Marvel yeah. and goes into this scene two years later with Nick Fury and Talos like talking to all the scrolls. I did not even think that that was a DH Nick Fury because I was like, yeah, it's two years later, man. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, it's where at. So I it's so it's, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, I guess I am pretty into this series because I was in it. Um, it's great. Like this is this is what Mar- when Marvel's doing stuff right. Yeah. I love the bigger story that they're telling. And so whether that is Tony Stark feeling like he wants to put uh iron suit around the earth and that be the, and the Chitari leading into his PTSD leading into his issues with Thanos like like there's just like sometimes when they're like really doing that connective tissue well. And I think that even though I don't think Captain Marvel is the strongest movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I liked what they did with the scrolls and this idea that there was a promise. Yeah. And they kind of reiterate this here. Like Fury's like, hey, I promise that we're gonna find you a home. And all I'm asking in return is you help me do this thing. And knowing what happens and knowing yeah. where we go and knowing that 
Thanos shows up and Dan Carol Danvers is off doing God knows what. And that then Fury goes up to Saber. Like you just watch this scene and you're like, fuck man. Like you're like, you're full of shit Fury. Like you're not going to do shit. Um, and it's real to me. It's real. It's really, really affecting. Like, you know, what's going to happen. And I think they're doing a really nice job of, I don't want to say putting you on the scrolls side, but at least showing you why the scrolls have a beef. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think, I think that's, I think that's good. And then I think, you know, picking up right where we left off, seeing everything happening. Like he's, he's pulled away from Marie. He gets thrown in the van. You see his Talos like, okay, good to go. And then you get this train scene and, you know, we've talked a lot about winter soldier and here's like another really great example. Like I love the scene in winter soldier where him and, uh, and Steve Rogers are in the elevator and he talks about his dad. Yeah. Uh, work in the elevator and coming home and he's got his paper bag with his lunch in it. And then he put a gun in it and he showed people and he has a whole story about his dad with Steve Rogers. So here we are on the train. They're leaving the whole thing. This whole, all this shit has gone down and fury can fury knows there's more going on here. And he tells a story about his mom and he tells a story about being on the train and he tells a story about, tell me what I don't know. And then just turns it around. He's like, tell me what I don't know about the scrolls. Yeah. And even in that moment, I was like, oh, we all we know about the scrolls in the Marvel Universe is that they were attacked by the Kree. Yes. But I feel like we don't know the whole story there. And that's not where he went. Like, like I was like, okay, that's interesting. But that, that comes into play later with some stuff that's said about the Krees and the scrolls. But uh, I was like, okay, that's interesting. But then where we go is Talos being like, yeah, all the scrolls are here. They've been here. And... Nick Fury's reaction is so great to me because Nick Fury invited them in. Yes. Nick Fury asked them to pose as humans. Nick Fury asked them to infiltrate things to get him information. Yeah. And the reason to me that he was so pissed about it is because he knows this is on him. Mm -hmm. This is his own fault. Like he, he opened the door a crack and the fact that the scrolls were like, cool, we're opening it wide. Like this is fully on him. He invited this species. So as much as everything he says is true. And I think he is not incorrect when he was like, humans haven't, don't even have tolerance for each other. You think they're going to have tolerance for another species. You're full of shit. That is true. That is one of those things that this is a comic book universe with aliens and superheroes, but that is an accurate statement. And so I, I feel like in this moment, I'm curious to what Shannon's quibble is with what he thinks is off base. And I will probably agree with him because he's right sometimes. But I do think that like for me, like this scene was really great because it was one of those great examples where you're using a comic book argument. Yeah. But, but what both of them are saying, like it's motivated by real shit. And I really loved the scene. I thought it was really powerful. And then just a really funny ending thing. <laughs> when when Fury kicks uh, Talos out of the train and then Talos walks out as the woman and he sort of like puffs his hair. All I can, <laughs> all I can see in my head is Ben Mendelsohn pretending to be a lady. <laughs> Like, I was like, I was like, he is, I was like, he is really in character right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Shannon, this, there's some interesting um, points that Talos makes that carry weight. You know, he says to Nick, 
you know, you 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 were fine as long as we were errand boys and carrying out your mission. So so this is long held issues between these two guys as well that I thought was great. You know, because it happens. You know, f- friends fight, people who know each other fight, people work together fight, and they hold on to these things. You know, and him saying to him, and then Nick going back and saying, "Look, we were the hosts. We set the terms." And he's like, "Well, what happens when the host leaves? What the hell then?" So. It, interesting change in power dynamic between them as well versus what we got in Captain Marvel to what we got here. A lot of years, a lot of miles on that road between them. So a lot of things to go back and forth about. What did you think about these opening scenes uh, with uh, all that happened here to open uh, episode two? Yeah, I thought it was smart to show what, what happened in 95 as a refresher for folks that might not be like us, who even movies that right. we don't love we might go back and watch again and again and again Fair and point. again. And even like Captain Marvel is lower on my on my list. I've seen Captain Marvel probably 10 or 15 times because there are time there's a moment I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna throw Captain Marvel on, see what happens. Maybe I'll like it more this time. Um <laughs> how, how does that how does that go? How does that go for you? <laughs> Never works. <laughs> um <laughs> there are moments that I might appreciate more, but as yeah. a whole, it is it is still it is it is where it is. Um you know, that nice scene, I, again, I'm with Vogel, like I've forgotten about halfway through with him, like, oh, right, this is Sam Jackson. If he's not doing action, Sam Jackson is a great guy to de-age because <laughs> he looks, those effects look mwah. I know. Um, <laughs> um, the thing that, like, flashing to Gravik in the aftermath of that attack, like, that was just a great, that was a great transition. Do you see where you know, we're getting along, we're going to make this work. And then you see this fork in the road where it is no longer working. Like we are now taking decisive action. Um, as the one guy, I totally thought it was one of Olivia Coleman's guys. <laughs> and yeah. I was thinking like, Oh, this is going to lead to a comedic yeah, beat where she's just like, boy, you are terrible at this. They, <laughs> this guy's awful. He's my worst one. Um, but when we get, we see it's Talos and then we get on the train. Now, even though there has been a passage of time, from Talos stuff and fury in the SUV and them getting on this train, there was a levity at the beginning, which may have been intentional for, mm. for Nick Fury to kind of yeah. have Talos let, his, Talos let yeah. his guard down. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm like, I feel like this needed a somberness, even though both of these guys have lost people in the past. Um, I wanted more of a somberness. That's actually a great um, point, Shannon. Maria's just died. How are they not yeah. talking about this? How are yeah. they not exploring this? Even though we're going to get to the scene with Maria's mom, but you make an excellent point. You know how you solve that? You're you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, like that is a really good point. But I, I get what they did. But I think you make a really good point. All you need to do is have Talo say, "Fury, I'm really sorry," and then you see that Fury like. He, he instantly changes the subject. He doesn't want to yep. talk about it. And then it. what yeah. happens is the scene plays out exactly the same way. Right. But the fact that Fury completely was like, nope, makes it feel like he is making the active choice to be like, I'm compartmentalizing as opposed to not even bringing it up at all. Yeah. Yep. Or even blaming Talos. Like Maria yeah. wouldn't be dead if we were involved in this. If you hadn't handled your people, you hadn't let them go. Yeah. There's a lot that could have been done here um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think that somberness and, and, and I, I do think Vogel's got a good fix. I mean, yeah, you yeah. just have to address it yeah. because otherwise it looks like it looks like something was cut out um, yeah. because the moment like the, the whole idea with the soldiers being like, hey, you know, we're looking for a black American and the the uh, 
Talos in disguise as the as the as the blonde woman when she says like a black American in Moscow. Like, OK, yeah, sure. Um, you that was an entertaining moment. Yeah. But but to set the scene of like we have just we just lost a soldier. Yeah, um, I love the story. I thought it was so, so good. And, and another thing that it really kind of gives us is when he says, you know, you were there, there are a mil- like, there's a million of you all here. You lied. And the whole, I love the line of you were happy when, when we were your yeah. spies and your errand boys. It also lets you know, Fury didn't dig that deep yeah. when they were here. Yeah. He, he suddenly had an incredible arrow in his quiver and he wanted to use it at any cost. Had he done what he was doing in that moment at any time in the last 30 years, except for the five or six during the blip, maybe he would have, he would have been able to have gotten in front of this a little bit, but I loved his response. Um, because again, it's that, it's that guilty person scurrying for an excuse that the host sets the terms. And it's like, that's a, that's a real, that's you, you might not be wrong, but maybe that wasn't established 30 years ago when yeah. you got here. Like it, that was it was just such a dynamic scene. And watching the two of them, the, you know, these two, you know, elder statesman actors, watching them go off each other. Like it's really this is what I really this is the stuff that I love in the MCU. I always go back to Civil War in the scenes where Steve and Tony are not beating the shit out of each other. Like the moment yeah. where we're having just those scenes this is up there with that i mean that's a really great point just really quickly because like civil civil wars don't laugh at me like sometimes 25 minutes in and we have not even missed going past the first three scenes i'm just saying there's a really interesting like 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 civil war is great and we go back to it because it's a really great philosophical argument yes i agree like should superheroes be like uh, do their own thing, or should they be should they be regulated? And I think what I'm liking about Secret Invasion is the scrolls were displaced. They were invited here. Yeah. Like they they have a stake here. Like there is a like they're not wrong, and Fury's not wrong to be upset. And that is a compelling discussion. I agree. I agree. Yes, 100 percent now um, let's move on. We got a lot. Yeah, to talk let's about move it. on by taking a break real quick because we're already at twenty-five minutes. <laughs> we'll be uh, right back right after this with some more of the review of episode two of Secret Invasion. Hello, Geek Buddies fans. Before we jump into today's episode, let's give a warm thank you to our sponsor, Marquee TV. Their support is why we're able to bring this podcast to you. Marquee TV isn't just any streaming service. They're your gateway to an incredible world of arts and culture. That's right, Johnny. I've explored Marquee TV, and I've been amazed by their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. It is a treasure trove for any arts and culture lover. Right now, I'm in the middle of watching the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of the Tempest, and I've also got my eye on that Shakespeare masterclass taught by Dame Judi Dench. Yeah, Shannon, and speaking of the RSC, I watched Christopher Eccleston's performance of Macbeth last night, and I'm going to jump into Kit Harington's performance of Henry V from the Donmar Warehouse. Imagine having the world's most breathtaking ballets, dramatic theater productions, and magical operas at your fingertip. That's the experience Marquee TV offers, making the arts accessible wherever you are. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents that's right three months for only 99 cents with the code buddies 
B-U-D-D-I-E-S. Simply visit Marquee.tv and use the promo code BUDDIES to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Get three months for just 99 cents. Visit Marquee.tv to start your journey into the world of arts now. Use code BUDDIES. Explore the extensive library of performances on Marquee TV today and keep up with the latest in art streaming by following at Marquee TV on social media. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. That's good. That's good. All right, moving on here. There's a uh, uh, there's a bunch of newscasts that are letting us know that Russia wants to retaliate against the United States because they think the United States are at fault because they have that Americans against Russia leader who is secretly also a scroll uh, there. And they uh, and we see Christopher McDonald up there. Uh, I think his name is Chris Pierce in the show, essentially subbing in for a Fox News host. It's FXN News. I don't think I'm making a stretch by saying that and saying that it's a false flag operation. But he's actually right. He's actually right. It was not actually. Americans who are doing it, which is really interesting. We see the UK Prime Minister pop up on the screen with a statement. We see the NATO Secretary General Secretary General pop up with a statement, which is really interesting. Uh, but then we see Gaia and uh, Gravik in the car there because we had seen them leave in a car from the square, and they're having conversations about Fury. And she wants to know, did you know he'd be there? She's like, he's like, no, but I was hoping. And what you see, and he says vapors. That's an old man still holding on. So again, reinforcing this for two episodes now, how he's a man who's a step behind. He ain't what he used to be. Gravik is feeling himself. I mean, you could argue that Gravik, in a certain light, is a younger version of Nick Fury. We don't know what Nick Fury would have done at that age to destabilize governments, to make sure his government stays on top, the Americans win. We don't know what Nick Fury did, but we know from the comics, Nick wasn't uh, shy about breaking a few rules to get things to happen in under his watch. So it could be very interesting if that comes up 
in the next few episodes. But they we they head to this scroll meeting, and who's in the scroll meeting? Well, there you go. It's the British Prime Minister, the Secretary General of NATO. Uh, I, I imagine she's an Indian Prime Minister, the woman who plays Shirley. Uh, and then we see well, there's an Asian guy who doesn't speak or say anything. And Chris, Christopher McDonald was a damn scroll. Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. Oh. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Um, but, um, but grab hey, pieces of shit like you for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and we hear Gravik, and Gravik comes in. Essentially, he's crashing the meeting because he wasn't supposed to be there. His guy is waiting outside, and he lays it down, pitches it, and you know even has a moment where he slams his hand on the ground. And you could see he is absolutely saying, "Look, the humans—they promised us this. They didn't do it. They're they're killing each other. We're just hastening the inevitable. I need you all on my side, and we need to go forward and do this. And if it's war, it's war." And this time, we're going to win. Not like all of you who lost it. We are going to win this time. Shirley is the only one who maintains, because the UN Secretary General tries to protest, they get slapped in the throat. But she is the only one that maintains her protest to this situation. Everyone else elects him, as in essence, the general uh, for this war. Shirley walks out, calls Talos, and tells him what's going on. He wants a meeting with Gravik so they can talk about his daughter, Gaia, and more stuff as well. So, and they ask him about the Avengers, and Gravik says, Don't worry about the Avengers. I've got a plan in place if they get involved. What does that mean? Because we know in Secret Invasion of the Comics, Avengers became uh, scrolls or were imitated by scrolls, and that became a big deal in the comics as well. Uh, and uh, and then we, yeah right then we see uh, then we go back to the abandoned facility and Gaia is there and he he gets a massive hero's welcome but Gaia does a little spying and sees Pagon there enter a closed off lab and sees that this husband and wife doctor team who we find out later are uh, Rose Dalton and her husband are doing some kinds of experiments. We hear about a harvest and how Gravik has not been right about the harvest a few times. Pagone sounds like he's questioning Gravik and this harvest situation. So what is going on here? Is this connected to the machines? Is this connected to what's going on? And then we go to Colonel James Rhodes, who shows up here, summoned by this European Council for this emergency meeting. And this is a very contentious back and forth with Rhodes kind of throwing it back in their face, these accusations, saying he doesn't trust Russian pictures, says he's going to carpet bomb Slovakia if she looks at him wrong again. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you hear about them accusing uh, accusing Americans of staging this, uh, that uh, Fury was there, Maria Hill was there, uh, and uh, he is pushing back on that. And earlier, uh, before I, I forgot I skipped over it, we get to meet Maria's mom, uh, who mm-hmm. is played by the great Juliette Stevenson, uh, who I love since Truly Madly Deeply with Alan Rickman. And she is here playing her mom. And she is devastated by the loss of her daughter. So it's clear that she is dead, at least from what we think. I saw some people speculating that it might have been a scroll who died, and it isn't Maria, but it seems like she's dead. And her mom's saying to Nick, don't let her death uh, be in vain, in essence. So go and find out what's going on. So uh, Shannon and I turn to you before we get to the roads, because that's a separate thing. The Rhodes Fury uh, discussion. What do you think of all of this here leading us, the Cree Council, the Cree Council, the, the sorry, the Scroll Council, Gravik, and everything we've got going on leading us to Rhodes at that emergency council meeting? Again, super entertaining. Loved the, I, I mean, this is where, like, Kingsley Benadir didn't really get to show off a whole lot in the first not, episode. Yeah, not the first episode, right. And he's getting to show off a little bit now. Like, he's yeah. a really, really good actor. And, like, when you, 
when your when your bad guy is making sense, that's when you know you've got a really good performer. Um, I loved uh, the Shirley actress that that line of yeah. "We didn't lose the last war because we weren't willing to fight. Yeah. We lost it because we were too willing." And so knowing that he is now at the head of the table, and you know, at that moment she thinks she's dead, and his like, right. "No, no, no, you can go, you can go." Like no one's gonna. No one's going to go after you. And how she reaches out to Taylor's. I kept waiting. Like, there's no way she's going to be able to make this call. Like, there's no. Yeah, way I was like, you dead. You dead, girl. You dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I thought I thought that was all great. The, the scene where uh, they they come with Maria's uh, Maria Hill's casket mm-hmm. and you get to have that moment between fury and uh her mom and you you get a sense you get that real world sense even though we're dealing with you know with a with a larger than life world with the mcu you're getting the real world consequences of it when she says you know you know they told me you know she she thank you know thank you for your service thank you for all this they can't even tell me where she died yeah. like it's one of those things that's like when you think about folks in the real world who are like in the cia how they get yeah. a star on a wall and that is that is the extent of the acknowledgement of their contributions. And, you know, we, we don't know a ton about the fury gravic relationship and, but we're now putting fuel in the fury tank. Hmm. With the fact that he had this conversation with Maria's mom and how it's like, all right, not only do I have to make this situation right. I also now have a, I have to avenge someone. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was all really, really good. And then the, uh, back and forth with, uh, Rhodey and the rest of the people, I love the, you know, if, if Slovakia eye rolls one more time, <laughs> I'm going to carpet bomb. Like again, <laughs> Vogel, I, you, I don't know if you've listened to this yet, but John in one of his cinephiles reviews may have ruined this series for me. Uh, cause they were doing Iron Man three. And he was talking about the differences between Don Cheadle and Terrence Howard. Mm. Um, and I'm like, when I was watching that scene, because I love Don Cheadle, but watching that scene, because I do think Terrence Howard's really, really good. And I was, would, would always be curious, the what if version where he goes on and gets to play Rhodey throughout. I'm like, man, I wonder what this scene would have been like with Terrence wow. Howard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Fuck. Now you're ruining it for <laughs> yeah. me. Like, I love, I love Don Cheadle. Yeah, I, I love Don Cheadle as Rhodey, but you're not wrong that Terrence Howard saying that line hits a little different. It hits a little different. Fair point. Uh, I do want to give the uh, to the actress Sita Indrani is the actress who plays Shirley. She's so good in this scene, as Shannon pointed out as well, and. Uh, she's known for being uh, in The Bill, a very famous uh, uh, series there in, in the UK. So just giving her some love for the strength she delivers in that. Because, uh, I mean, everyone else seems kind of forgettable. McDonald's doesn't get to say too much, and all the other actors. But she stands out. She's got a strong yeah. energy in that scene, which is great. Yeah. Michael, what do you think of these scenes here as we're heading to this uh, scene in the tavern with Rhodes and Fury? I mean, like, this is where things started to heat up for me. Like, I here's the thing. Secret Invasion, the comic, is great because the scrolls literally became all the superheroes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I understand just budgetarily, like I, I understand why that you don't you don't want a Chris <laughs> Evans and a Mark Ruffalo. Like, you, like I get I get why this doesn't work Oof. in in the world of the MCU. So it's 
when Gravik walks into that, well, when you first see all the news articles and you see, yeah. and so you see the UK prime minister, you see the guy from NATO, you see the, you see Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, you see all the people <laughs> and you're like, okay, like this is giving us information. But when you then turn and almost immediately have Gravik come into this room and see all of them sitting there and you're like, yeah. oh, okay. Like the scrolls did it. They did it. Right. And it's, and, but here, and here's where I think secret invasion I don't want to say it's a problem, but this is the issue, which is it's equal parts. Oh, that's really cool. And at the same time, it's also not, you're not the superheroes mm. like that. Like this is like, like I'm really enjoying it. And so I'm loving what's happening, but I do think that the undercurrent of all of this is this is cool, but NATO and the UK prime minister and Fox news is not you're the Hulk and captain Marvel and uh thor you know what i mean like there's just it's just not quite it doesn't hit quite the same but that being said seeing that all of these people were who were at the top of the government mm. are all scrolls i was like okay this is cool they're really going for it like they're not this is not the show where you're like oh the scrolls are about to right take over world governments they've done it it's happened and that's that's still pretty cool um, agree that Gravik just really shines in the scene. Like he really makes a compelling argument. And as Shannon said, what Shirley says, which is, it's not that we didn't want to fight. It's that we wanted to fight too much. It all of a sudden calls into question everything. Like when Captain Marvel came out, we were trained to believe ahead of time that the scrolls were going to be the bad guys because the scrolls are the bad guys in the comics. And the fact that they turned it around on us and said the scrolls are the good guys is one of the things that I like about Captain Marvel. But now that they're turning it around again and saying, well, maybe they weren't fully the good guys, I think is really interesting. And I'm really enjoying that. Um, so I think that's interesting. And between what Gravik says about, I have a plan for the Avengers and then Gaia going into this room and seeing this whole thing going on, I started to say, oh, are we going super scroll? And then the scene that happens in a little bit later, I was like, yeah. oh yeah, we're, that's absolutely what's about to happen. Yeah. So I yeah. thought that was really interesting. And then, yeah, the roadie scene, now I'm mad because I'm now only thinking of the <laughs> Terrence Howard scene. So thank you very much for that. But um, that what they do that's really nice is, and it's, it's kind of like the trifecta of scenes. Mm. Show us a bunch of people on the news responding to what happened in Moscow. Then show us that most of the people that we just saw on the news are scrolls. <laughs> and then put us in a room where Rhodey is talking to these people, thinking he's talking to humans, and we know that some of them are scrolls. So it, it's yeah. really well done the way that they do it. Um, and really is compelling as far as like, oh, wow, the scrolls are a serious threat, while at the same time, I understand their side of this. Yeah. And it's playing into what, you know, is going on in our world. And I'm going to say this as tenderly as possible, no matter what side of the political fence you're on, it seems like nowadays, it's like, what happened to you? It feels like you've been taken over by somebody. You've been brainwashed. You're not the person I used to know. How can you be this? 
how are you in the cult of Biden or the cult of Trump or oh, you're, you've been brainwashed? We've heard this, right? So this idea that people we thought we knew have all of a sudden become something else or we find out that they're actually scrolls, like it really works the way they're bringing it down to the ground level in its approach and making it feel too realistic, which I think is what may be put, putting some people off about it because they're not pulling, like you said, the FXN, that's essentially Tucker or Sean Hannity. That's essentially what that's supposed to be. Mm, I'll say, let's say Tucker Carlson. All right, fair enough. Across. You feel it. Well, Hannity's pretty bad. Too. You feel it in what's going on there. But also, Michael, you make you make an interesting point. And I will make, not counter necessarily, but I will say that you know, yes, they're not superheroes, but they're in essence the power brokers of the world. So the amount of power that the head of NATO has is pretty big. The amount of power that the head of the British uh, British people might have is pretty big. So this is and the power of media to influence people as we've seen is also pretty big so having someone like chris chris mcdonald playing this chris pierce character being a part of this is interesting so they know where the power lies now that the heroes are not necessarily around as strongly as they were before and the scrolls have slowly but surely under graphics direction almost put themselves in these positions yeah. to do things what i also love about these scenes is we get to see more with graphic and Gravik is one of those young revolutionaries who believes what they believe, twists the narratives of the human, the human story. Even the, the Secretary General of NATO says to him, that's a pretty simplistic approach to human history, but that's the human to history approach he needs to take in order to validate the things that he's doing. He's ignoring all the positive things that human beings have done to just focus on the negative stuff so that he can wipe them out with impunity. What, is it, what do they call that? The othering, right? The, the, yeah. You remove the humanity so it makes it easier to kill them. So you see that. And even when he goes back and gets that hero's welcome after he's become general, he does that faux humility shit with the with the person who comes up and, and congratulates the woman. He says, oh, I, you know, it's 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 for you, sister. Or, you know, you are the real power here and not me. It's all that nonsense. When in fact, it's his ego that's driving him to do this. And clearly some issue with Fury which we don't fully know about yet other than the 30 years thing. There's something coming that's going to give us even more in-depth detail on Gravik uh, for sure. Really quick, one yeah, thing yeah. you said that I think is like slightly – just a slight correction. It's not – Gravik didn't put these people in power. I think that the, the dynamic that's important to remember here is that the, this is why these people were so pissed at Gravik. These people were in power right. to maintain the status quo. Yeah, 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 they were enough. perfectly happy to be like – humans do not know we are here right we right. are at the top levels of government and we are going to maintain this for the good of the million scrolls that are living amongst humans gravit comes in and says "Fuck that let's take over and that's where yeah. shirley's like don't no 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 let's not do that but right. then everyone else is like no okay let's do it let's take over let's 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 go to the next stage here and that's where I think the problems are with the show, which if I wish it was a 10 episode show or a 12 episode show. So we would get to that moment after a little more time right. of them negotiating this with themselves. And then things happen to kind of put them in maybe even graphic stages stuff that kind of manipulates them into going on his side to vote for him on the council. That could have been interesting to see as well. You know, mm -hmm. So we'll see. Anyway, let's see where we're going here. All right, we head back uh, to uh, Rhodes here. After he's done, he walks out. Uh, he has this, uh, gets this phone call from Nick Fury. Uh, and Nick Fury tells, uh, you know, makes a joke about his suit or whatever. And then they make another joke about Carpa bombing Slovakia. Hey, what did Slovakia ever do to Marvel? I don't know. But uh, we end, uh, he ends up telling him, hey, let's go meet at this tavern. And from what I understand, this is a real tavern in the UK. 
and it is incredibly impossible to get a reservation without a six-month wait for this place. I did a little research on it. So the fact that Fury was able, I mean, uh, Rose was able to wipe the whole place out so that they could sit there and have this conversation is fantastic. This is one of my favorite scenes in any film or TV series that I've ever seen. Two multidimensional black men in the Marvel Universe having a conversation that explores their relationship, their ancestral history, their cultural history, race politics, as well as what's going on with the Skrulls, the fact that Rhodes knew that the Skrulls have been around for about 15 years, which makes me wonder, like, was he ever questioning any of the Avengers being scrolls or not? What's the deal here with how he handled things? What happened in the blip? How many scrolls were blipped and came back? What happened with that? So I have a lot of questions here. But in essence, the scene is, is, is Rhodes firing Fury from whatever job or thing he was holding and kicking him out of this whole thing. Fury ends up breaking the bone of one of the guards who tries to throw him out of there and gets in Rhodes's face about the fact that, uh, you know, he even when he's out, he's in. So really setting the table for this battle between these two guys. Uh, let's stop there and have this conversation. Michael, what did you think of this scene and everything that we got revealed in this scene in this back and forth uh, between Rhodes and uh, Fury? Yeah, you know, it's it's it was a great scene because. It was very murky. I get yes. murky is the right word. Like like That's seeing two word. black men have this argument where they're both sort of talking about where they've gotten, what's going on, and being on very different sides of this. And kind of Nick Fury pulling the, hey, like, you got to help me out. Like, I helped you get to where you are. And Rhodey being like, I don't owe you anything. Like, there, it was it was just a really dynamic argument between two really, really good actors. Like, I thought that they did a really nice job of both of them kind of like the, the Talos and Fury scene on the train. Like it's very similar. Yeah. Neither one of them is wrong. You know, like given what Rhodey knows about what's going on and what Fury's doing, like Fury is kind of this wild card who's going to do whatever he wants to do. And it's just like, there's no controlling Fury. So he makes a really compelling argument, but Fury's like, look, I I've been around the block. I know what I'm doing here. You got to cut me some slack. And, it just it was really cool the only quibble that i have with the scene and this is this is not this is just what you have to do this is this is the one one of the major flaws in the marvel uh structure which is when when Rhodey's like should we call our friends and fury's like no you're like well why not really <laughs> couldn't you use couldn't you use a little hulk right now like let's just be real. and and like this is and this is like i understand why they can't yeah fury says because no 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 like they they might be scrolls already who the fuck knows like that's true. like but it's just it's true. this is like the one it, this is the thing like in re, in in reality of the fake world that we live in here <laughs> yes call in the big guns there's a million scrolls and they're taking over so that but like given that we're not going to actually spend another bajillion dollars on secret invasion we're not going to do that so it this is one of those like it's it's the same thing that happens all the time in the singular movies where you always have to sort of make that excuse on why you don't do the thing that we're like yeah call everybody like get them all in here Where's Doctor Strange? Cast a spell. Do the thing. And so, like, I know, like, you know, I, I get it. Like, it's, but that's always one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, okay. All right. 
But aside from that, as far as like the discussion that they had on every other aspect, I thought it was really, really great, really powerful, and really just set the stage for what I really like about this is between Maria Hill dying, maybe. Um, and oh my god, here we just go. like I'm holding out hope, man. Like, I'm here just get, hold, let me let me hold on Where, to a wait, shred. Where's of your Talos conspiracy theory, too? Are you ready to back out of that, or are you still on that train as well? <laughs> Vogel Cabana, the Vogel Cabana, are you still in the Vogel Cabana? <laughs> the, Vogel, the Vogel Cabana is pausing to order another round of drinks, <laughs> and we'll see next week. We'll see. Uh, maybe this week made me go, okay, maybe we're going in a different direction, but we'll see. I don't trust anything. Um, but between Maria Hill dying, supposedly, yeah. and Talos and Fury having the fight on the train and Fury giving him the boot, and then Rhodey being like, get the fuck out of here, yeah. we are really isolating Fury. Yes, 100%. Like that, yes. that is what's happening here, is that there's no, Fury has nowhere to go and no allies anywhere. And so it's going to be interesting to see in the next few episodes where that goes. But I hope it really pays off in some serious Nick Fury awesomeness. And so, like, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I want to make this clear. I, I bring up two uh, black men having this discussion in the Marvel Universe with multidimensionality, having two different perspectives. Because we've seen white characters do this, both male and female, multiple times in the MCU. So getting to see two uh, black characters have this conversation, I thought was really rich to explore it. And yes, you're right. I think it's great, too, to point it out. Yes, none of us are black on the panel, but you can look at it objectively and see that Nick Fury was actually trying to trade on that a little bit, saying, like, help a brother out. You know, he even says that to Olivia at the end of their scene uh, last episode, like, call a brother, you know. So you get that sense where he's saying, like, hey, man, I've helped you out. You've got to help me out. And she looks like because because, you know, people who look like us, our dads couldn't get us into positions of power. But yeah. those milk toast, middle uh, medium type Alexander, men like Pierce. Alexander Pierce, right. They get to be in power. But Cheadle says, no, the reason we're in power in and the way we got to use it is to not do the things that you're saying. So very interesting to two black men look at it differently. And both, as you said, Michael, valid in their points of views. Shannon. Well, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. I just want to, not to get, yeah, 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 no, but not, but not to get, not to put too fine a point on, but this is yeah. what's great about having such a diverse cast in the MCU. Yes, is yes. that you don't have the one black character who has to represent all black people, right? You know, like that, that, yeah. like when you have more than one character, you get to have these different viewpoints and you get to dive into these conversations, which I really like. Yeah, my friend Jay Washington says it all the time. He's a pundit and a critic as well. Black people are not a monolith. Get over it. So he's so right. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on this scene here and the back and forth between these two gentlemen? Uh, again, to echo everything you all said already, like it was a really, really great scene. Um, and you get the sense that Nick Fury hasn't accessed this before to Ooh. say like, hey, we're, you and I, we got in here we got in here because of what we were able to do. Now I need you to help me because you know, the whole, the, the mediocre, that was such a just great turn of phrase yeah. when he, when he was just like, you know, from, you know, mediocre guys like Alexander Pierce and Rhodey's response saying, we didn't take the mediocre. We didn't take the power from the mediocre just to give it to some, another mediocre man Ooh. saying that, saying that to Fury, like, yeah, you know, Fury's you, reaction you, to it was great in that moment. Yeah. And like Rhodey kind of being offended, being like, okay, just because I'm a black guy, you think that I'm going to do this for you? Like, no, you, you are past your sell by date. 
Like we are like, I was brought here to let you go. Um, that was just, again, really, really dynamic scene. Um, that was, you know, again, be, being, being a white dude, um, it, it was just, it was really powerful. <laughs> Shocker, Vogel, I know. What? <laughs> um, but, but I did have the same, the same thought and thought it could have been addressed with a line. We said, should we call our friends? And it was like, the scrolls had been here 30 years and they've escaped every type of tech imaginable. Yeah. What do you think they're going to do now? And I, you can even name check Dr. Strange. Like the only one who could maybe do this is, is the, is the doctor in New York. And he is MIA. The last time we saw him, he had a third eye and he was running after Charlie's Theron after a, a, a tear, a tear in reality. Like I did think that was an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, but but also I do think it should have been referenced. Like, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah. The Hulk is useless if he doesn't know who to punch. Right. All right, let's take one last break, and then we'll get into the final two scenes and give our overall thoughts on this episode uh, right after this. Let's do it. Gentlemen, I'm a little hungry. Uh, let's head over to a butcher shop uh, with uh, uh, Olivia Coleman here. Uh, we see that some uh, Olivia Coleman's in the, goes into this butcher shop, says she needs to see the guy behind the counter there uh, and uh, in the back. And we find out that this is a front for some Russians who are interrogating uh, the scroll who was the head of the Americans against Russia there. They are interrogating and they're comically inept. I want to know who came up with the idea of the bumbling Russian uh, heavy because I've met some <laughs> Russian people. None of them are like this. Let me just tell you. So I find this to be a fascinating thing. Maybe it's Bullwinkle and uh, Moose. Maybe it was that. Uh, boy. Boris and Natasha. <laughs> Boris and Natasha, maybe, because this is a little bit played for comical sense. And then uh, uh, Olivia Coleman comes in. Sonia comes in and she takes over the interrogation, kicks them all out. She immediately cuts off. Uh, I think it's Brogan's uh, finger there to show that he's she's a, he's a scroll. And she's like, oh, good. Glad we solved that. And then just starts to uh, get in and try to get information. Injects him with some kind of chemical that increases his body temperature to 160 degrees, which is really insane. And then back at the compound, we see Gaia, as Michael was referencing. She goes under this computer and then finds all this stuff. I've got it written down here. She finds, she looks at the computer and she sees that there is, uh, uh, that they've got chemicals or they've got records on Groot, on the Frost Beast, which is from the Thor franchise. And Call Obsidian, which is, of course, one of the uh, Black Order there from uh, Thanos and Extremis. So we're not done with Extremis, apparently. And it seems like, as Michael was hinting, that we might be heading to Super Scrolls. Um, Gravit catches her, but she quickly just, uh, 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 changes screens and she's checking on Beto, who is their friend there, who she brought in uh, to be a part of this whole thing. They take off in a car to go and save, to go and get that guy out of there. Uh, they show up as Olivia is just doing the torture, getting all the information, finding out where that the the scientists are there, finding out that he, that Gravik is creating a machine here, and then Gravik and his crew show up. They they absolutely take out all the Russian guys, go in there, save the dude while Olivia escapes underneath that escape hatch, mentioning Dostoevsky. And they take off with the guy. Uh, they drive by the safe house because Gaia, while they were handling business in the butcher shop, Gaia had snuck off leaving Beto in the car and she had made some calls to somebody in Russian. We don't know who she was talking to. And all of a sudden the safe house is compromised. They drive out onto the road here and it is Pagone who takes out, I think it's Brogan, 
takes him out into the woods. And he's, it's almost like uh, Silvio with uh, Adrian takes him out into the woods and, and ices him and heads on back into the car. And there's a pall over everybody who is just understanding what Gravik has ordered uh, Pagan to do. They get in the car and take off. And then we cut to a Nick Fury going into some uh, storage facility, yanking the cover off of his car, getting into his SUV. Sorry, I hit my fan there. Heads on over <laughs> to his house. There is a wo- there is a scroll woman cutting up cucumbers. Walks into his house, and the woman now is this, is this black woman. And he says, "You know, uh, I'm home." She's like, "Not yet. You haven't done it right." Pulls out his uh, wedding ring, puts it on, and they kiss. So in essence, Nick Fury has married a scroll, and that's how this episode ends. So Shannon, your thoughts on Olivia Coleman's uh, torture tactics? Uh, your thoughts on Gravik and what he ends up doing with uh, with Brogan? And the ending here with Nick Fury and his uh, scroll wife. I mean, chipper, sadistic Olivia Coleman is so much fun. Oh, <laughs> um, super scrolls. Your thoughts on that too? So go ahead. Yes. Well, and just like the fact that you know she, she you know she jimmy the door open, and then the guy's like, "Yeah, the door was locked." Like, yes. And now that it's unlocked, now you know how I feel about locked doors. Yeah. Um, like, just great, great interplay. Um, as she grabs that pair of shears, I'm like, "Oh, she's cutting, she's cutting something off." Ooh. And watching how she's like, "Anne, is there?" Like, like she's just getting all of her ducks in a row before she goes to work. Like, this is what this is what we're gonna do here. Sarah, an escape hatch right there. Great. Um, <laughs> she's just again, Olivia Coleman is just one of those performers who's just so much fun to watch. And you know, we get it from Brogan that she's like, "All right, what's?" What was the plan? What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, and he says, you know, they're trying to make us stronger. And the whole thing with, you know, them taking Gravik and uh, the, uh, was it Pagone? Yeah, uh, watching them come in and just wipe the floor with the Russian guys. And Gravik instinctively knowing that he talked. Like, yeah. you, you, you absolutely talked. And then you see the difference in the leadership of Talos versus the leadership of Gravik, how Talos does not want to hurt any scrolls. Whereas Gravik is like, yeah, you've, you've, you've given something away. I can no longer trust you. I got to give you two behind the ear. I got to take you on a fishing trip. So (laughs) again, just, you know, (laughs) just, just a lot of fun watching uh, how this couple, this, you know, scientist couple is putting together, putting together. It's like they're, they're trying to get the U S and they're trying to get the nuclear powers of the world to, to go at each other because uh, as they established in episode one, scrolls are, that doesn't bother them. Any sort of like nuclear fallout, they're okay. And the super scrolls are there to then wipe up the mess. Mm -hmm. So you get an idea of like, okay, this is the direction we're heading. When we get to Nick Fury and his wife, she's the one that introduces young Gravik to him. So yep. it's like, oh, okay, these two raised him as their son. Yep. Like that's that is what this is going to be. Oh, is that what uh, you think is happening? Yeah. 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 Uh, but right, again, well, I, just sorry. Go ahead. I was say, watching it with the subtitles on, the woman who introduces him to Gravik is a different name than the woman who is at the end. Priscilla is the woman at the end who has been one of uh talos's lieutenants so i okay. don't think they're the same person but you guys might be right i just don't think they're the same person i think vara is the name of the woman at the beginning and it's priscilla at the end so i, I don't think they're the same i person. wonder if vara is her scroll name and could priscilla be. is her yeah i i thought i mean i could be wrong it's hard to tell under the right. makeup i thought it was the same actress yeah we'll find out i'm sure we'll find yeah. out i'm sure but yes all good 
<laughs> that was the end. Oh, that was the end. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, okay. And, and, okay. All right. Go ahead, Michael. Your thoughts on this, everything that we got here in the last few scenes. Sorry, Shannon. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, Shannon <laughs> look, Shannon's right. Olivia Coleman just can do no wrong as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Like, she just has a way about her that she is an absolute joy to watch on screen. And she is absolutely, in these first two episodes, one of the highlights of Secret Invasion so far. Yeah. Like, more, the more Olivia Coleman the better as far as I'm concerned. Um, Gaia looking at the screen, like I was like watching and I was like, okay, like what, like Groot, like, uh, you know, like, like what, what's going on? Frost giant. Like, what is it? And I was like, Oh, this is, this is the MCU super scroll. Like we're not doing the fantastic fours powers. We are building this thing where we're going to take all the different aliens that we have met thus far and use that DNA to sort of build this thing. And I think that's great. Like I want to see a scroll do Groot powers. Like that's cool. Yeah. Um, so if that's where we're going and that's what the last, you know, episodes five and six are about, we're fighting super scrolls like that, that's compelling. Like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing more of that. Um, so I, I really like that. I'm curious about what guy is playing at. Like, I think it was really smart of her to seemingly, it seems like that's seems what we're like saying, which yeah. is she kind of knew that she could take this opportunity to rat out their safe house and that Pagone was, or at the, that the, is it Pagone who gets killed or Pagone who kills Brogan, 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 Brogan. And that Brogan was going to take the rap for this. Yeah. Like seems smart, but between like what she did in episode one, kind of telling them about the bombs and saying they're going to be in the backpacks, but then the bombs weren't in the backpacks. And now she's doing this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by her. And I think Amelia Clark was the right casting choice for this. Like she's the right person to sort of be like, I, I want to trust you. It seems like you don't like what's going on, but do I trust you? I'm not a hundred percent sure. So I thought that was really, really great. And then I thought it was a fun reveal at the end. Like, okay. You know, like you yeah. realize in this moment at the end with Nick Fury that like, for all that we've seen everybody else's life, that we know what Steve Rogers is like and where he lives and we know Tony's life and we know everyone's life. Like Nick Fury holds it all to the vest. Mm -hmm. We've never seen what Nick Fury's personal life is. Nick Fury's always been all business. And so seeing this, you're like, okay, well, how long is this going on? And I made the same assumption that Shannon did. Yeah. Maybe we're going to be wrong, but I was like, oh, Gravik's his son. Mm. Like this woman brought him Gravik. The two of them at some point along the way connected. The two of them kind of raised Gravik. And now you have the fact that the guy that Fury kind of raised as his son killed the person that was kind of a daughter to Fury. So mm -hmm. that seems like it's where we're headed. And if that's where we're headed, I'm really excited. And if it's not, we'll see. But I was yeah. like, okay, I'm, I'm into all of this. Again, I wish there was a bit more spectacle, but... I will take the meat that we're getting over the spectacle for my tastes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I loved the Olivia Coleman aspect of this and look, it says something when you can come in and over two to three scenes, you're stealing the show from the main lead. Every time you show up, that says <laughs> something about your talent and your abilities. And by the way, if you notice everyone's in these drab colors, she's wearing these bright reds, she is standing out in a certain way that there is something more to come here. And of course, red alluding to blood, because she is certainly there's a lot of bloodshed connected to her, it seems like. And her even crawling through that crawl space. They got Olivia Coleman to hold her purse correctly as she crawled through a crawl space. I thought that was genius to have that shot. I'm sure she must have got a kick out of doing that shot. And 
and muttering something about Dostoevsky, which I thought <laughs> was brilliant. So <laughs> she's got a larger role to play here that is going to be interesting. Because how does she have these Russian connections? What is her role in all of this? How much connection does she actually have to the British PM, who is a scroll? Does she know she's a scroll? Has she been a part of this? So there's a lot of questions here about the information that she's accruing. Where is it going to lead to? And what's Fury's role in all of this with her? I'm very curious to see, but I'm enjoying what they're doing with her. And her casualness about torturing is a really interesting thing. Are people going to feel like that although you're enjoying her? So in a way, am I okaying this method of torture to get information? Because this is, in essence, torture, what she's doing of a of an enemy combatant no. and is that it's not in essence think? torture it's torture well, fair it's torture of an enemy combatant in some brutal ways it's not waterboarding but it's heating your blood up to 160 degrees to where you could essentially explode or die so that's hot stuff. yeah it's hot. yes it's pretty brutal stuff that she's doing and on the other side you know i didn't talk about this scene but gravik having that quick scene with guy after he catches her but doesn't know for sure but maybe suspects that she is doing some nefarious stuff. She bring he brings up her father as a failed general yeah. in the uh, Skrull army, and like what did a, what did the daughter of a failed general want? But then I see that you see things the way I see things. And remember the opening scene with them in 1997. Gaia as a Skrull, young Gaia gives young uh, Gravik a nod there as a connective tissue between them. So is there more between them that we're going to see in flashbacks? as scrolls and perhaps as you said mike and shannon that nick fury and i said earlier that nick fury could be the father mentor type to gravic pseudo father rather so interesting to see how that's going to play itself out over the next few episodes as well and one quick thing uh, as far as uh, super scrolls emperor droge is uh, who talos mentions in that train scene with fury it's not the actual emperor of the comics but there is a character named droge fenu edu in the comics who was the nation's science minister, and he is the one that comes up with creating the Super Scroll Serum. So it seems like that's where we're headed with these references uh, overall to this point. So uh, we shall see. Um, all right, uh, Michael, final thoughts on this episode and where do you think we're going next? And Shannon, uh, uh, over to you after him. Yeah, look, I'm excited. I'm interested mm -hmm. in this. I think that, you know, Marvel, when Marvel has a compelling villain with a compelling reason for doing what they're doing it works great and yeah. i think in the scrolls and with gravic in particular like this is i think it's interesting like there's a million scrolls on this planet not all of them are bad but they all want a home and yeah. nick fury and carol danvers promised it nick fury went and disappeared carol danvers ain't anywhere to be seen and i like that i think it is messy and complicated and i think i want to see more <laughs> all right shannon your final thoughts on where we might be going next yeah i'm really enjoying it and i just hope that this is the type of show i feel like it might be like miss marvel because i read something that it was it the the first episode was not didn't have the best numbers mm -hmm. but i'm hoping it's like miss marvel that people discover it after the fact yeah. because there is a little bit of a you know mcu malaise right now but if they continue doing what they're doing and the intrigue and the, you know, uh, cloak and dagger type thing just keeps building into a satisfying conclusion, um, which based off of the first two, it seems like it's going to, but yeah. anything could happen. Um, I just hope that people discover it and that this is kind of, for me at least, I mean, 
this is this is exactly what the MCU needed. Um, this is yeah. like to refer reference uh, one of our episodes recently of our main show. Uh, James Gunn saying, "I want this type of this type. You know, I want a murder mystery. I want all in the superhero genre. I think this yeah. is the cloak and dagger version of superheroes, and I just hope they stick the landing." Yeah, I agree with both of you. Absolutely. Just really enjoyable. I like where it's going. This is my kind of show that absolutely gets my attention. I like the nuance of it all. I like that we don't know what's really going on here fully, that people have agendas and and, um, things that they're trying to accomplish and ulterior motives. Is it going to play out the way we think? Is it going to be graphic versus Fury? Or maybe, because Michael has said this over and over again, don't trust anything, is Gaia playing both sides to maneuver herself into a position of power of New Skrullis is that the end goal here? And she is going to usurp the emotional and violent Gravik and be the one standing as the more rational one and take over New Skrullis and maybe even uh, have a counter to Nick Fury in some way down the road. I don't know. And what's Sonya's role in all of this? So there's so much here that still needs to play out that's very exciting. And I like that we don't know where everyone fits. Those are usually the best shows that you don't know what everyone's alter- uh, motive is until we get to the end of the season. So we shall see. Uh, all right, well, there you go. That's our spoiler review for episode two of Secret Invasion. Thank you so Promises. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it madly. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, I'd like to follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies. On Instagram, at The underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, at least we think that's who he is, it's <laughs> at Tune. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, at least that's who we think it is. It's at the Roca says. Hey, old monkey. Um, look, hope you enjoyed this. We hope that you uh, trust us. <laughs> If you dare. Um, and here's what you can do to help us out. You can smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Leave your comments below. What did you think of this episode? How does it compare to episode one? Where do you think things are going? How does this scratch your Marvel Cinematic Universe itch? Let us know below in the comments. If you are listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some comments and some stars so we go up in the rankings and more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is share this video, post it on your socials, retweet it to your friends nope retweeted on nope 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 that's not yeah nope lost it it's been a long day damn it We're retweet so- retweet this video post it on your socials share it with your friends there you go tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies kabang nice way to go my man that is the end of the long day for michael Vogel. we appreciate it manly uh thank you all so much for joining us just quick programming note we've got a our main show coming up on friday and we've got our review of star trek strange new worlds coming out later today with me and michael Vogel tackling episode three yes it's a good one it's a good one So look for that uh, from the Geek Buddies here. And until then, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. We'll see you next time with another spoiler review of Secret Invasion here from the Geek Buddies. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, 
that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.